Welcome to Ridge Church. My name is Jonathan. If you're new, we're so glad that you're joining us. Of course, if you've been here for a long time, welcome back. Glad to have you. Uh, You know, if you think about the Gospels, if you've read through the Gospels, you know that they say an awful lot about Jesus. They tell about his birth and his ministry and his disciples. They tell us about where he traveled and his prayer habits. They, they introduced to us what Jesus' teachings were and the questions that people had in response to those teachings and how Jesus responded to those questions. They tell us how Jesus saw himself fulfilling all of the Old Testament in himself. And all four Gospels recount Jesus' arrest, his death, his amazing resurrection. And throughout the, the centuries, thousands and thousands and thousands of pages have been written about that. But if you think carefully, there's only one place in all of the Gospels where Jesus reveals his very heart, where he kind of opens up and says, at the core, this is what drives me. This is who I am. And it's found, uh, interestingly, in uh, Matthew chapter 11, a famous passage. Jesus is speaking, and in verse 28, he says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, For I am, he says, gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. It's fascinating. In the one place that Jesus opens up and just says, this is what my heart is. This is how he describes himself, as gentle and lowly in heart. Which if you think of it, of all the things that he could have said, it's an interesting choice that he makes. I mean, he could have said, you know, I am austere and demanding in heart. Or he could have said, you know, I'm exalted and dignified in heart. Or he could have said, I am joyful and generous in heart. But instead, Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And the Greek word that he uses there to describe himself, the the Greek word that's translated gentle, is used in a number of places throughout the New Testament and is translated in a variety of different ways. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses that same word when he says this, the meek will inherit the earth. And later when it describes Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, it says that he came humble on a, riding on a donkey. That, that same word is translated humble. And later on, the apostle Peter, uh, when he speaks to wives, he challenges them to find their beauty in a gentle and quiet spirit. So meek, humble, gentle, that's the word that describes who Jesus is at his very heart. Not not trigger-happy or harsh or reactionary or, or easily exasperated. And Jesus adds another word to that. He says, I am gentle, and then he says, and lowly. And that word is also closely tied to the idea of being gentle, to the first word. And again, throughout the New Testament, that same Greek word is translated in most places as the word humble. But here it means not so much humble as in the virtue of humility, although Jesus had that in spades. I mean, he was the son of God who humbled himself and became flesh. But in this instance, it has the idea of being accessible. God himself, Jesus, the, the great and holy one who sat in the very presence of God with all majesty and all authority, who lived this perfect sinful life, he now says, when I come to you, I am accessible. There are no barriers to coming to me. There's no hoops that you need to jump through to come to me. In fact, uh, the only sort of prerequisite that there would be is he says, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's who's welcome into my world. Those who labor, those who are trying so hard to make their life work and to fit and to go the right way. He says, if you're weary, come to me. 
and those who are, who are heavy laden, those who have just kind of given up and said, I just can't do this thing. I just kind of passively go along. He says, you come to me too because I'm gentle and lowly in heart and I will give you rest. That's who Jesus is at his very heart. And if that's who Jesus is at the very core of who he is, and if we're followers of Jesus, if we want to be shaped in his image and become more like him, that means that we too need to be a people who are known for gentleness. Dane Ortland writes this, Gentleness is, an essential, is essential to Christian living. It's not an add-on. It is one of the few indisputable evidences of the Holy Spirit alive and well within someone. Gentleness is not just for some Christians, those wired in a certain way. It cannot merely be an inherent character trait, a result of personality or genetic predisposition, because it is listed as part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Looked at another way, nowhere in the New Testament's list of spiritual gifts is gentleness identified as one such gift. It is not a gift of the Spirit for a few. It is the fruit of the Spirit for all. To be gentle is to become who we were meant to be. That is to return to who we once were in Eden. You know, in our series on the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness is the next evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so if gentleness is, is a key facet of the fruit of the Spirit, and if it's what Jesus is at his very core, then we're going to spend today talking about gentleness, seeing it in Jesus' life, and considering what it means for we who are followers of Jesus. And the place that we need to begin is with a proper understanding of what gentleness is. You know, in a world where power and, and strength are so highly valued, often gentleness is misunderstood as being soft or being weak. But that's a misunderstanding of gentleness. If you read the Gospels, you know that Jesus nowhere was soft or weak or unable to do what he was set out to do. In fact, quite the opposite. Jesus himself, the Son of God, could have called legions of angels any time that he chose to protect and defend him. He never did. And not only that, he stood strong in what he said and in what he believed and in his defense of those who were facing injustice. So, gentleness is not about being weak. Rather, gentleness is about being strong, but managing that strength, using that strength properly. In fact, here's the definition of gentleness. Gentleness is restrained strength. The same word that Jesus uses in Matthew to describe his own heart was used in the ancient world to describe the taming of a wild animal. Think of a racehorse that has been tamed by its rider. It's able to ride with unbelievable strength and unbelievable power when it's called upon to. But by the same token, when it needs to, it can be drawn right down to a very slow pace because it works with strength, uh, rather with gentleness. Gen gentleness, then, is strength under control. And again, often people who are preoccupied with strength and with power, it's because they... They feel at the core of themselves a weakness and an insecurity. You see, those who know that they have strength, those who understand the power that they have, they actually demonstrate that through gentleness. It's through gentleness that they show that, care, that they care for one another. And when we have that strength, when we, we understand that we're strong in the Lord, when we understand the strength that God has given us, then we ought to be ones who show gentleness to the people around us. And in fact, as the Apostle Paul calls us to, our, our, our gentleness should be evident to all. 
In fact, that's, by the way, uh, why gentleness is one of the prerequisites for being a leader in the church. The Apostle Paul, writing in 1 Timothy 3.3, says that one of the qualifications of an elder is gentleness. And in 1 Timothy 6.1, Paul writes this, As for you, O man of God, pursue, among other things, gentleness. So, how do we pursue gentleness? Well, in a world that's crazy about getting power and using power and, and, and using it to, you know, make its agenda and force its agenda on us, it's important that we understand how to live differently, how to live counterculturally, how to live with great strength that's restrained for the benefit of others. And so the way that we learn how to live with gentleness is we need to look to Jesus. We want to learn from the one who is gentle and lowly in heart. So here, here's where we want to begin. If you want to be gentle towards others, you need to start by understanding the gentleness that Jesus has for you and I. In the gospel, there's this amazing story told about this woman who was caught in adultery. You know this story. Jesus is teaching the crowds, and the, the Pharisees caught this woman in adultery. They drag her in before Jesus, and they put her there in front of everyone. They say, Jesus, according to the law of Moses, she should be stoned. What do you say? And you know that Jesus, he bent down. He just began to, to draw in the sand, and, and they pestered him. They said, Jesus, what do you want to do? And you know, Jesus famously said, he who is without sin should throw the first stone. And then he bent down again, and he began to draw. And one by one, each of those people that was there drifted off until it was just Jesus and that lady. And he looked up and he said, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. He says, then neither do I condemn you. You go and sin no more. See, that's this beautiful picture of the gentleness of Jesus. Jesus would have been totally within the law to call for her stoning. In fact, it would have shown to everyone where he stood, that he stood strong on sin, that he wasn't soft on sin. But he doesn't. Instead, he reminds everyone that they're all sinners, that we're all sinners, that we all screw up, that we all need a Savior. And at the same time, he doesn't back down on his opposition to sin. After everyone has left, he goes to that lady and he says, I don't condemn you. But then very gently, he calls her again, says, go and sin no more. You see, the crowd, the Pharisees, they were only too happy to pick up stones and to throw them at someone else. But when they began to examine their own heart, when they began to realize their own sin, then they, then they walked away. And you know, if we want to develop a, a heart of gentleness, if we want to cultivate gentleness in our lives. And one of the things we need to do is to practice the biblical discipline of confession. One of the things that we need to do is to find a regular rhythm in our life when we begin to confess our sins, either in prayer or in our journal, or if we're particularly bold and trusting to somebody that we know that's close to us. And when we go to confess our sins, it can't be in some vague, general, God, forgive me for my sins way, but rather it needs to be specific and pointed and because of an examination of our own heart. We need to say, God, forgive me for my pride in this situation. God, forgive me for being a liar in this situation. God, forgive me for my selfish ambition. God, forgive me for my quick temper. Because you see, when we begin to confess our sins, when we begin to examine our own heart, it changes how we view others. We begin to be more gentle. It's the source of of, of gentleness in our life because we realize that Jesus has been so gentle to us. I remember a time once where my wife came into the house 
Uh, she waited to the right moment, and she said, Ah, Jonathan, I need to tell you about something that happened to the car. And right away, I could feel my blood pressure rising, like, what happened to the car? And she told me, she said, she, I, yeah, I don't remember exact details, but she bumped the curb or she scraped the, the car or something like that. And I lost it. I was like, how could you be so careless? You think that money grows on the tree around here? I mean, now we got it. And, you know, I just right into it. And she, she graciously said, Jonathan, you remember a couple months ago you rear-ended somebody. And right away it's like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I remember what I did there cost a lot more. It was a lot more grief. It was a lot worse than anything that she did. And right away it changed me. I, to this day, I remember anytime one of my kids or my wife says, ah, you know about the car, I just begin to remind myself, Jonathan, remember, remember you rear-ended that guy, remember. And it allows me to be much more gentle in the response that I have. In fact, when we examine our heart carefully, when we remember that we also are sinners, that we also have screwed up, that we also have these, these kinds of things in our life, it allows us to be gentle even when the criticism that we receive is not founded. A Jack Miller, pastor, who received, uh, you know, all, a bunch of criticism and sometimes, you know, wrong caricatures about himself. He said if, if he ever got a chance to catch up with the people who were criticizing him, he would say to them, you know what you're saying? It's not the half of it. In other words, the, the criticism that you are laying against me, if you knew the, the sin and the brokenness in my heart, this is actually quite, quite generous con considering what I know about myself. And it allowed him to have a gentle spirit even to those who were criticizing him for what he was doing. You see, gentleness in our lives starts by understanding and remembering that Jesus has been so, so gentle towards us. That rather than giving us what we deserve for our sins, rather he has shown us his gentleness and his, 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 uh, the lowly heart, this sense that we're just welcomed in even though we struggle in so many ways. And that gentleness, when we understand that, that begins to manifest itself in our lives in a number of different ways. So here it is. The gentleness Jesus has for us leads us to, first of all, personal growth. Again, a story of the gentleness of Jesus' life. At one point, you know that uh, just before he was arrested and crucified, Jesus turned to one of his closest disciples, Peter. He says, Peter, it's going to go really bad in the next little while. And when that happens, you are going to deny me. And Peter's response is like, never, no way, Lord, I would never do that. And of course, you know the story. It's not long after that when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, and Peter, like everyone else, flees. And then he sort of slinks back into the courtyard of the high priest to try to hear what's going on for Jesus. And, and, and while he's there, a little girl, just a young girl, asks him if he's with Jesus, and he denies Jesus to a little girl. That's the courage that he has. None. And then later, twice more, he's asked, and both times he denies it and swears, and he's like, I don't know that man. And you know that then the rooster crows, and he leaves humiliated and weeping. And John tells us at the end of his gospel that after Jesus rose from the grave, he met his disciples on a beach on the Sea of Galilee, and there he made them breakfast. And there, sitting across from breakfast with Peter, he confronts Peter. And what Peter may have expected, I mean, what, he, what Jesus could have said was, Peter, how could you? 
Peter, what were you thinking? I loved you. How dare you? I mean, Peter, I warned you that this was going to happen. I gave you the chance to figure out how you would respond. And this is what you did? You denied me to a little girl? You swore you didn't know me? I mean, that's how Jesus could have responded. But he doesn't. Instead, he's so gentle. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter's response, he's like, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And that conversation carries on a little longer. But here we see this incredible gentleness of Jesus that restores Peter and changes his life. He says, Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to shepherd the church. And that's what Peter does all the days of his life until he literally dies for Jesus. See, Peter becomes this incredible apostle in part because of the gentleness of Jesus to restore him. And this is how Jesus deals with you and with me too. You know, when we sin again for the 1500th time and we can't even lift our eyes to, to look at Jesus, when we can't even go to prayer in him because we're so ashamed of what he's done. You know, we, we think, oh man, I am so due a tongue lashing. I'm so due a lecture filled with harshness and anger. And how on earth, after all this time, Jonathan, could you still end up doing that? And instead, because of who Jesus is, he will never do that. Instead, because he is gentle and lowly in heart. He says, Jonathan, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Okay, then keep following me. He says the same to you. Do you love him? Yeah, okay. Keep following after him. Feed his sheep. Do whatever it is that he calls you to do. That's Jesus' gentleness in action, and it changes our lives, and it calls us to follow him, and we do every step of the way. It's the first thing. Secondly, the gentleness that Jesus has for us leads us to a thicker skin. You know, in this culture where we live, where everyone is so easily offended, it's more important than ever that we, who are followers of Jesus, get a thick skin. And the gentleness of Jesus leads us to that. Again, Luke tells us a story of Jesus in action. The gentleness of Jesus. Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling from, from Galilee down to Jerusalem. They're passing through the region of Samaria. Now, in that day, the Samaritans did not look kindly on the Jewish people. Jewish people didn't look kindly on the Samaritans. But Jesus and his disciples, Jews, they've been walking for all day. They're no doubt tired. Jesus sends a couple of his disciples ahead to a little village saying, hey, can we get a room maybe if you don't mind and a place to sleep? We'll just go on our way. We won't bother you at all. The whole village says, no way. You're not welcome here. And when the news comes back to Jesus and the disciples, James and John turn to Jesus and they say, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on, the, on that village, because they were mad. They were, they were deeply offended, and they wanted to, to make them pay. They wanted to, you know, cause pain in their lives. And I wonder if you ever feel that way. I wonder if you've ever, you know, just put out there online, you know, this is where I stand, this is what I believe, or maybe you've spoken it at work, and the response has been that you've been swatted down. You've been treated poorly. You've been treated with rudeness simply because of what you believe. And you know, you feel the same way. You're like, Lord, you know, I just, I want to make them pay. I, I want to fire back. I want to, I want to call down fire from heaven on them. That's how James and John felt when they were so offended. And you know what Jesus does? He rebukes them. Not, not the village, but his disciples, James and John. He says, come on, boys, smarten up. 
Let's just find another village. That's what Jesus does. And as followers of Jesus, we also need to have thicker skin. You know, in this culture, we can't afford every time to be offended every time somebody says something against what we believe or what we stand for. Listen to the words of Jesus. He says this, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it's hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, in this country, you know, we don't know anything about persecution. It would be embarrassing for us as Christians in this country to stand up and say, oh, we're being persecuted in light of the kind of real persecution that Christians around the world face. But the fact of the matter is that there are times when we face scorn and derision for what we believe. And that hurts. And and the temptation can be for us to want to fire back. But that's not how we should respond. So then how should we respond? Tim Keller, a high-profile a Christian pastor and writer in, in the States, uh, he gets his fair share of criticism for what he says and for what he writes. And this is what he says. If the criticism comes from someone who doesn't know you at all, and often this is the case on the internet, it's possible that the criticism is completely unwarranted and profoundly mistaken. I'm often pillared for the views that I do have, but also even more often for views and motives that I do not hold at all. When that happens, it's even easier to fall into a smugness and perhaps be tempted to laugh at how mistaken your critics are. Pathetic, you might be tempted to say. Don't do it. Even if there isn't the slightest kernel of truth in what the critic says, you should not mock them in your thoughts. But first, remind yourself of examples of your own mistakes, foolishness and cluelessness in the past, times when you really got something wrong. Second, pray for the critic that he or she grows in grace. Instead of responding with harshness, instead of trying to strike back, first we need to remember the gentleness of Jesus. We need to remember that even though we've made all kinds of mistakes and said stupid things in the past and misunderstood, he's been so gentle with us. And secondly, he says we need to pray for them. And this is, this is, is so important. One of the Desert Fathers once said this, prayer is the seed of gentleness. Prayer is the seed of gentleness. You know, Christians all throughout history have found this to be the case. If you're talking to someone else about someone that makes you mad, you can say the harshest, difficult, nastiest things. But if you turn in prayer to your heavenly Father for that same person, the fact of the matter is, it's hard to do that. When we learn, when we turn in prayer to our heavenly Father, it causes us to change our attitude, to remember that, that that person also is made in the image of God, that God also loves that person. And it leads to a gentleness in, in our heart and in our lives. Now, that, that doesn't mean that we should be soft in what we believe or what we stand for, but it does mean that when we respond, we need to respond from a position of strength, but with restrained strength. Because you see, in the end, in the end, we know that God is sovereign over all. In the end, we know that his will will ultimately be done, that his kingdom will ultimately come. In the end, we know that we're sinners saved only by grace and not because somehow we're so wonderful ourselves and that Jesus has been so, so gentle with us. And so that means that in the end, 
we can respond even to our harshest critics with a gentleness that comes from following Jesus. It's the second thing. Here's the third thing. Finally, the gentleness that Jesus has for us leads us to building bridges. Again, a story of gentleness from Jesus' life. It comes from the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus is calling a number of disciples to follow him. He calls uh, uh, Peter and Andrew to follow after him. And then he finds a guy named Philip. And he says to Philip, Philip, I want you to follow me. And Philip's all in. He says, Jesus, I just, I got a buddy I want to invite to. Let me go talk to him. And so he leaves. He goes and finds his friend named Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel's sitting under a, a fig tree when Philip catches up with him. And Philip says, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel's pretty skeptical. He's like, yeah? Tell me about him. And among, um, um, among other things, he tells him that Jesus is from Nazareth. And, and Nathaniel famously says, can anything good come from Nazareth? In other words, he speaks down in Jesus' hometown and, frankly, about Jesus. But Philip convinces his friend. He says, Nathaniel, just come and see him. And so he comes. And when Nathaniel comes to Jesus, Jesus' first words to him are this. He says, now here's a genuine Israelite, a man of complete integrity. And Nathaniel's like, what? How do you know me? And Jesus says, I saw you uh, under the fig tree. In other words, Jesus saw the exchange between Philip and Nathanael. And rather, and even though Nathanael, you know, derided Jesus in his hometown, rather than Jesus saying, who do you think you are? You think you're all that? Instead, he responds with such gentleness. He says, hey, I know that you're the man who speaks what he says, that there's integrity in who you are. And Jesus' gentleness builds this bridge with Nathanael, and Nathanael follows Jesus. You see, gentleness builds bridges in our lives. And uh, if you want to cultivate a heart of gentleness towards people, you need to practice the biblical discipline of hospitality, of reaching out to people that, that think differently, that talk differently about you, and building a relationship with them. Author Scott Sauls tells this kind of a story. Here's what he writes. He says this. When Saturday night, Saturday night Live comedian Pete Davidson crudely mocked Congressman-elect Dan Crenshaw because of his eye patch and flippantly remarked, I know he lost his eye in the war or whatever, no one expected the former Navy SEAL and decorated war hero to respond to the insults the way that he did. The mockery of Crenshaw's combat-inflicted disability, motivated by the comedian's disdain for his political views, resulted in such a public Strong public backlash that Davidson, the comedian, fell into depression and self-loathing. He wrote on Instagram this, I really don't want to be on this earth anymore. I'm doing my best to stay here for you, but I actually don't know how much longer I can last. All I've ever tried to do was help people. Just remember, I told you so. Having lost his eye in combat in Afghanistan due to an explosion, some might have expected Congressman Crenshaw to say of Davidson, well, it serves him right. He could have added to the backlash or simply ignored the comedian. Instead, the veteran privately reached out to befriend and encourage and speak life-giving words to Davidson. He told the comedian that everyone has a purpose in this world and that, quote, God puts you here for a reason. It's your job to find that purpose, and you should live that way. Instead of firing back, Crenshaw built a bridge. Instead of shaming and scolding, he spoke tenderly. Instead of seeking vindication through retaliation, he sought friendship through peacemaking. Instead of striking back, 
he responded with gentleness. Uh, Scott goes on to write this. He says, then on Veterans Weekend, the two of them came face to face on Saturday Night Live to make amends. The congressman offered warm remarks and high praise in reference to Davidson's own father, who was a New York City firefighter who died in the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks when Davidson was only seven years old. At the end of the segment, when he thought they were off camera, the embattled, humbled comedian leaned over to Crenshaw and whispered, you're a good man. You see, gentleness builds bridges. It's what Jesus calls us to do. It's what Jesus did everywhere that he went. You know, little children, prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, people who lacked education, the poor, the sick, the unemployed, lepers, crooks, addicts, and more uh, people with special uh, disabilities, special needs and disabilities, the elderly, misfits, all of them, when they ran into the Pharisees and the scribes, after they were done encountering them, they felt worse. They felt more isolated. They felt more dejected. But when they ran into Jesus, when they encountered Jesus Christ, the Son of God, they felt better. The burden was lifted. They were welcomed in because Jesus said to them, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Scott, Scott Sauls writes this. Have you ever met a person who says they fell in love with Jesus because a religious person or a group of religious people scolded them for their morals, their ethics, and their lifestyle choices? In all my years, I have yet to meet a man, woman, or child with such a story. But among the thousands of Christians that I do know, there are more than I can count who fell in love with Jesus because of the gentleness of Christ as expressed to them through Christians. Your gentleness is so unexpected in our world these days. And yet gentleness is so powerful to affect people's lives, much more so than, much more so than anger or shame or scorn or even just silence. It builds bridges, and not only with the people in the world out there, but, but bridges with the people closest to us. Gentleness builds bridges back between a husband and a wife, between siblings, between a, a parent and a child, or a child and a parent. It builds bridges between coworkers and between brothers and sisters in Christ. Of course, it comes with a cost. You know, the gentleness that Jesus shows us, it costs him a great deal. He hung and suffered and died on the cross and shed his own blood that he would show us such gentleness. And our gentleness, too, comes at a cost. It means that we need to die to ourselves, to our sense of self-righteousness, to our indignation, to our outrage. And instead, it means that, that we need to, to humble ourselves and to be so gentle with those around us. But it's what Jesus did for us. It's his very, at his very heart. And so that means that we as followers of Jesus, as we follow him, we need to do the same thing. It means that, that in our lives to cultivate gentleness, that we need to practice the discipline of confession. That we need to confess our sins and remember that we also screw up. And we need to practice the, the discipline of prayer. We need to pray regularly for those that drive us crazy, that make life hard for us, that we just want to strangle them. We need to pray for them and lift them up to God so that the gentleness comes in our lives. And it means we need to practice the discipline of, of hospitality. We need to reach out and, and build bridges and make friendships with them and offer love where there's been criticism, love where there's been harshness, love because of what Jesus has done in our life. 
Where do you need to pursue gentleness in your life? Like, like the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. You know, maybe for some of you, you need to go back through your social media and you need to find all those places where you've written harsh things or posted harsh things, things that are unbecoming of a follower of Jesus. And you just need to delete them out of there. And you need to commit to going forward on your social media that you will practice gentleness the way Jesus is gentle. And for others of you, maybe you need to, you need to go to someone in your world, someone much closer to you. Maybe you need to go to your husband or to your wife or to one of your, you know, your siblings. Maybe you need to go to a, a son or a daughter and you need to say, you know, I've been too harsh on you. I, I have not been as gentle as I should have been. And I'm sorry and I apologize for that. To do that, take courage. That'll cost you. I mean, you'll need to humble yourself. And you, you probably need to go and, and confess some of the, the, the harshness that you've had towards them. But you know, if you do that, if you do that, it brings glory to God. If you do that, you're walking in the very footsteps of your Savior himself. And if you do that, God will work in that relationship in all kinds of ways as you continue to follow after Jesus. Gentleness is a key aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, one that we need to pursue in our own lives. Let me uh, pray for you. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus. And that is very, at his very heart, he was not harsh and demanding, but rather he was gentle and lowly. At the very essence of who he was and who he is, he draws us to himself and is so gentle with us, even when we don't deserve it. And so, oh God, for that, we thank you. God, we bless you for Jesus. God, we thank you that the grace that is poured out in our life through him. And today, God, we pray that you would help us to be men and women, young people, children who are gentle, gentle the way Jesus is that we would have this deep strength, this deep, strong foundation, but that we'd be so careful with how we practice that strength, so careful in how we interact with people around us, even those who are our critics, even those who speak against us, even those who say harsh things against us. Oh, God, grant us the courage to be gentle like Jesus is. And, Father, to build bridges and to pray for them. And, Father, to see your kingdom come as we follow after you. So God, we give ourselves to you again this day. We can make, commit again today to walk after you in the footsteps of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.